Hello and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. Uh, we are in week um, 15 or 16, somewhere there. It's getting kind of long to, to remember every single one. Uh, but uh, we are having, still having a blast uh, doing this. I'm Seth Wistoff. I'm here with Mike Fraunfelter. And uh, we're here to share a little uh, faith, a little family, a little football, and uh, whatever else uh, falls in between. Um, so today uh, we're going to talk about the, the this idea of unity, and uh, unity is a word that gets thrown around a lot, and um, but it's such a valuable asset to any group or any uh, organization that can can accomplish it. Um, so the definition uh, that we started with with unity is making something whole, and I think as we're as we're going into that. Um, I was thinking about as a as an individual person, your potential is a certain amount. There's there's a fixed amount that you can accomplish uh, by yourself, and each time that you allow somebody else to come alongside you, uh, that pie that you're able to produce increases. Especially when we allow Christ to come alongside us, then that grows exponentially. But um, in order for us to, to fully um, utilize all of that, there needs to be unity. And we have to be able to, um, to take the strengths and the weaknesses um, from each person and have those things work together to make a whole. And when we can make a whole, we cut down on, the, on our weaknesses as a, as a group. We cut down on the things that we're going to fall short in. And so as we look at it today, we're going to try to look at a lot of different areas where unity um, comes from and where, where it can be so important uh, to us as we go on. So we're going to start um, in uh, Galatians 5, um, and I'm going to read 13 through 15. And it says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And there, you know, obviously that's a lack of unity. If we're uh, biting and devouring each other, um, you are going to destroy each other. And what Paul says in the next several verses is all the different ways that we can do that. And honestly, what it comes down to is it's sin. All the different areas where sin is prevalent in our lives are going to lead uh, to disunity. But then in verse 22, Paul brings it back around. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And so what he, what he does here is he, he brings it back full circle. He says, when there is sin in there, you're going to be nipping at each other. You're going to be uh, pulling each other down and preventing uh, your group from becoming whole. But when we're living by the Spirit and we're filled with all of those positive attributes, then we can start to see what we're capable of. Yeah. Seth and I had the unique opportunity to be in a football program from the very beginning. You know, three years ago, the Outlaw football program launched. It was a uh, came out of a couple of different programs that didn't have success uh, on their own. And uh, for a number of reasons, they uh, decided to uh, venture out together. And I remember in the, the planning process, uh, just as far as uh, uh, 
football with the uh, kids on the field, I remember thinking, we're going to have to do so much work to bring these two groups of young people who were rivals together. So uh, I know uh, Seth and uh, Coach Purdue and myself all thought of a lot of different ways in which we could try and bring these guys together. And I remember going to the first camp, and I was very aware of what was going on uh, as far as uh, Ray guys and Powers Lake guys, and I wanted them to intermingle. And I remember uh, our first on-field drills. And as a coach, you have to put guys in different groups. And all we did was take the older guys, put them in a group, take the younger guys, put them in a group, and then the really young guys in another group. But what some of the players were, were seeing was how many guys from Powers Lake are in this group, how many guys from Ray are in this group. And, um, and thankfully, that didn't last very long because they saw very quickly that it didn't matter where you were from. It mattered how hard you worked. It mattered how good of a teammate you are, how, uh, how much you wanted to learn and grow in your particular disciplines. And uh, uh, as a coaching staff, we really emphasize uh, those particular things because those are the things that bring people together. Just like Seth was talking about, when we could allow the guys to see a bigger vision of themselves and how if they plug in together that they could accomplish way more together than they could apart, uh, special things began to happen. Um, so in short, what we saw there was a picture of unity. And if we can see that happen in a silly game like football, how much more could we see that happen across the culture? If we could step back and instead of engaging in outrage culture, step back, try to see the bigger picture, see other people's strengths instead of focusing on their weaknesses, understand what our strengths are, and then come together in commonality to build something that will last longer than us. That's unity. And I think that's inspiring. And I think that's something that people want to get involved in. So with that, we're going to look at this idea of unity and how it applies in a couple of different aspects of life. And we want to first start with unity in Christ because it's our relationship with Christ that is paramount. And the reason that we say that is because um, there's only a few things that are eternal in life. Okay, That's our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationships with other people because we're going to spend eternity in one place or another. And uh, I want to read you a couple of verses from John chapter 3. This starts in verse 1. And it says this, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling class. He came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied to him, Very truly, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he be born again. So what is Jesus saying to Nicodemus? But before we get to that, what is, who is this Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a guy who was raised in a sincere faith. He had mastered the Old Testament. He memorized it verse by verse from Genesis to Zechariah. He was sold out. Uh, he was one who dedicated his life to the Lord, and, and that's what his life was about. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he sees this guy who speaks with passion. But he also speaks with power, and he's bringing these people who are diverse. They come from these different families and different backgrounds and different cultures, and he's bringing them together 
in a way that he's never seen. And Nicodemus comes to him by night because he was afraid of what his friends would think. He comes to him by night and he says to him, I, I know that you're from God. What can I do to have what you have? And Jesus says to him something very simple but very profound. You must be born again. If we want to be unified in this world, there is no other thing that I have ever come across that has brought more people together than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Black, white, rich, poor, free, slave, American, European, no matter where you go, you find the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you, you see God bring people together that are so different, but he bands them together in love, this common love that we have for a Savior who died for us. So what, what's at the heart of this unity? Our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So if we want to see things change, if we want to see unity in our workplace, in our home, wherever, it's got to start with us. So I'm going to ask you today, where are you at with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you find yourself today on this Resurrection Sunday at peace with Him? Do you find unity with Him? Or do you find yourself separated from Him? You, the thought of um, uh, having an encounter with Jesus, is that, is that a little bit scary for you? Because there's some skeletons in the closet. Well, let me tell you something. Easter Sunday is all about Jesus dealing with those skeletons in the closet. He paid the price for those things so we can let those things out. And you can be unified with him and you can be set free. And I think what happens here is it is it's Nicodemus is he feels that separation. Yep. Um, he feels this this lack of unity. And and you hear that story from people all the time that they thought uh, they thought God had abandoned them. But really what it was was they weren't ready to be unified with yep. him. Because when we when we unify with him, we have to separate. We have to take off the old. We have to be born again. We have to admit that the things that we've done in the past, you know, are not the things that we need to do in the future. And and that's difficult for a lot of us to do. And we I think that's exactly where Nicodemus was, and that's where so many of us are. I think this COVID time has given such a great time of reflection for so many people and an understanding of man, where have I gotten to in my life and what's led me to this point? And a lot of times, um, if it's a point we don't like to be in, it's because um, we veered away from the path that God has laid out for us. And if we find ourselves in that place, God has given us this tremendous gift, repentance. Say, God, please forgive me. Where I find myself, I don't want to be here. I, I know that sin has taken me further than I wanted to go and kept me longer than I wanted to stay. And it's my fault. Please forgive me. And the scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just, that he will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What he's saying is, if we'll own our sin, the things that separate us from him, we can have unity again. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And what we get then is we get this trickle-down effect of when we have our relationship with Christ figured out, um, we can search for and find um, this unity in the other areas of our life. And so the next one um, that we talk about is uh, unity in our marriage and unity within our family. Um, and the, the scripture that we turn to with that uh, is found in Genesis 2, verse 24. It's one that uh, you've probably heard at 90% uh, of the weddings that you've been to in your life. It says, For this reason, 
A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So that idea that we talked about in um, at the beginning of making something whole is that relationship makes those two people whole. It allows them to uh, be capable of doing so much more uh, with each other uh, than they would be if they're apart. And they've become one flesh, they're, they're one body, and, uh, and it just it, it opens up the gate for us to be able to um, love more and to give more and to serve more when we get people alongside of us. But to even to understand the concept of love, like I think when you're a single person, your concept of love really revolves around you and maybe the love that you've experienced from your family. But when you enter into that marriage relationship, that marriage relationship is about making that other person whole. It is a servant leadership mentality, and it's something new. So we learn a whole other aspect of love. We get a clearer picture of the kind of love that God has for us when he came and lived on our behalf and then died in our place. I think about my own relationship with my wife. I would not be here today if I didn't have a relationship with her. It's through her that I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. She introduced me to the lover of my soul. She's the one who pushes me and holds me accountable, helps me become a better man when I don't want to be that on some occasions. Um, She's the one who uh, teaches me what love looks like, even in those difficult periods. So out of this unity of marriage, God gives us this picture of two people coming as separate bodies and then joining together as one. And um, it's incredible in the scripture where God uses this imagery over and over to show us that that's the type of relationship he desires with us. One that has intimacy, one that has trust, and that one that um, uh, lets the world know of God's affection for them. And um, so with that, uh, there's another place where God uh, desires for us to show unity, and that is in the church. And as you look through these that we're sharing with you first with our relationship with him as individuals, that's where it starts. Uh, Second was the first uh, institute that God uh, created, marriage, back in the garden. And then third, the church. And we see in Acts chapter 4, a picture of this. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 36. And this is uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to us about unity in the church. It says, all believers were in one heart and mind. They were unified. No one claimed to have any possessions that were their own. But they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them and brought the money from those sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Uh, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, was one of the apostles, also called Barnabas, 
which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned, and he brought it, the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. So what we see here is this picture of the church that's unified. Unified in relationship because they each have a personal relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. Unified in purpose. That their purpose was to come together to know Jesus and to make him known. And uh, unified in their love in that they were so filled with what uh, God was pouring into them that their only natural reaction was to pour back out. Now, when people read this passage, I think oftentimes they read it and then uh, this idea of money comes into into play. So the walls begin to go up. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that I need to sell everything and give to the poor? No, this is, this is not what this scripture is saying. It's saying that they had this unified purpose and this unified love. So their eyes were fixed outwardly looking for people who were in need. And as they had need, they made sacrifices to meet those needs. Why? Because they loved those people. And what a time right now um, where there's going to be people in need. And uh, like you said, it's not just it's not just taking all of our money and just throwing it out and saying, uh, we don't need to worry about this or anything. What it was was when those people had something where there was a shortcoming or there was something that needed to be filled, that's when they used the resources that God had given them. And, and what we as a church, in order to truly be unified, is we have to be looking for those things constantly. We as Christians need to be looking for those people around us who have a need. And that need doesn't always have to be monetary. Um, it can be you know, finding somebody and giving them a call and talking to them. Or understanding that they're, they're down and out right now and they need to be prayed for and they need to, uh, maybe they need to go out to eat or something like that. But it's building that relationship with them. And, and all the different uh, avenues that we have of building people up, they, they might be money, but it doesn't have to revolve around that instance. Uh, and because this text talks about money, oftentimes that's, that's, that's where the sole focus is at. But here's the truth of humanity money doesn't fix every problem and we know that from what's going on in our culture today and i i had somebody this was years ago i would say 15 years ago teenager we were reading this passage and he says mike here is the proof that that christianity is the purest form of communism what <laughs> no because the Bible talks in a multitude of places about personal ownership. And more than that, it talks about a personal relationship that we have with God. And if we're talking about communism where we have to, uh, the, the government takes everything and then they're our resource, then doesn't that government begin to replace God? Yes. So what's in view in this text? Personal responsibility personal responsibility of the church to have a unified goal to make Jesus known and to love on those who Jesus loves and we see here this church do incredible things where it says with great power the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ why so that people could have a personal relationship with God because they've come in contact with the truth and that God's grace was so powerful at work among them all that there was no needy person. Why? Because they had this heart of gratitude for God because he had cleansed them of their sin because of his work on the cross and his resurrection. We don't see communism forced, a means where people were forced to give away everything that they had. 
we see charity, the opposite, where people are driven by love. And uh, I think that's what we need to be seeking today. Yeah. And I think sometimes it can be easy, especially in a time like this, when you know we have our government stepping in and giving the, uh, the stimulus package and things like that, for the church to just take a backseat to that. But what needs to happen is the church needs to come right alongside that. You know, if you look back in history, um, as our country was struggling through the Great Depression, uh, that was that was kind of the time when the government started to to take over this idea of taking care of the poor and the needy and the and those that uh, did not have, and the church allowed that to happen. And and right now we need to be diligent to make sure that we're not allowing that to happen, that we're unified in, in this understanding of we need to be looking for the lost, we need to be looking for the needy, we need to look, be looking for the poor and the widow and, uh, and the orphan and finding ways to bless them and to pick them up and to show them uh, who Jesus is. Uh, because if we don't, uh, it, we're going we're gonna to go further and further from this idea of unity uh, that the disciples and the other early uh, Christians found in, in this verse in Acts. So the last one, uh, last area that we're going to talk about is unity in the workplace. And uh, if uh, the more people you work with, probably the less unity um, that you have, unless um, you have unity at the center of what you're trying to do. And if, if everybody can align to where they're going, uh, sometimes it's not always that difficult. But uh, it just seems that most of the places today, uh, the more people that are there, uh, the worse uh, the situation can be. So we, we look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 11 and 12. It says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And what this is asking us to do to, to bring unity to the workplace, to bring unity to the community, to bring unity to whatever organization you're, you're with, is you don't have to be the squeaky wheel all the time. You can be the person that goes and grabs the grease gun and greases it up before anybody else even knows that it's squeaky. And, and we don't always want to be told that. It's, it's a lot easier to just sit there and squeak than it is to fix the problem. But, uh, but here, uh, Paul lays out to the Thessalonians that lead the quiet life you be, be the one who can take a step back and make sure that you're doing everything that you can to build the people up around you not to drag them down i just think that it's time for us to take a serious evaluation of the outrage culture or the squeaky wheel culture when you have chosen to become the squeaky wheel has that worked for you? And you might say, well, yeah, because I got done what I wanted to get done. But what about the relationships that you destroyed in the process? Maybe you got what you wanted, okay? But at the end of the road, you, you stand there empty because you hurt three people along the way. And to me, that's just absolute foolishness. And Paul says, uh, make it your goal to live a quiet life. That doesn't mean be a wallflower. That means uh, view your work as worship. Whatever it is that you're doing, whether that's um, uh, your vocation, whether that's uh, volunteer work that you're doing, whether that's coaching that you're doing, that is an act of worship where people come to know who Jesus Christ is because they know you. Now, if that's true, and we begin to engage in the outrage culture, we begin to be the squeaky wheel, what is that saying about Jesus? It's saying something that's utterly untrue. 
So Paul tells this, this church in, or in Thessalonica, who is divided, by the way. This church is divided, split, right down the middle. He says, make it your goal to live quiet lives. Work hard with your hands because everything that you do is an act of worship. And what he's encouraging them is allow your work, allow your worship, which is work, to be that thing that unifies you. Where people say, I can't believe that he went and did that thing. What a, what a nice thing that was that he did. Nobody, he never expects somebody to come and pat him on the back. He just goes hard all the time. And you earn the respect of the people around you. And that opens up an opportunity for you to share the truth. That will change your eternity. Yeah, and it, it changes everybody else around you. It picks everybody else up, and it allows your whole group again for that uh, your potential as a group to expand and to expand and to expand because you're making each other whole, not because you're sitting and grabbing pieces out and, and creating weaknesses or creating opportunities um, for Satan to get a foothold in um, whatever organization you're you're in. So that uh, this idea of unity was. Um, it, to me is very fun to talk about, uh, but it can be really challenging as well. I know all of these uh, areas that we've talked about, our unity with Christ, um, our unity in our marriage, our unity in the church, and our unity in the workplace, I can see in each one of those areas that I need to improve. You know, And so this, this verse in Thessalonians kind of challenges me to, to mind my own business and to work with my hands too. You have to take care of the peace uh, that you can take care of. Um, that we're not going to sit and rely on, uh, well, if my marriage is on the rocks, well, if my wife would just get things figured out, I think it'd be a lot better. That that area, if if that's my outlook, okay, my heart is in the wrong place. And if and, that's your outlook, by the way, that makes no sense. <laughs> no sense. Because you can't control your spouse. And honey, that's not how I feel about you at all either. You know, but but the same way in the church, we see the divisions in the church all over the place, and usually it's about an issue that uh, you know does not does not determine salvation. Sometimes, if it is um, a big issue, you know there can be conflict, but that doesn't mean that we have to tear each other apart and tear each other down. Yeah, why can't we be mature, especially when we're talking about theological things? These are things that have to do with the God that we claim to love, yet. We'll allow second order and third order theological issues. When I say second and third order, those are things that have nothing to do with salvation. Be the very means that split us apart. And what an ugly and gross thing that is. Why can't we agree to disagree? Why can't we be mature? You know, I think one of the most profound things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it brings so much diversity together and then we find unity in that where the world says that's impossible that all these people who are so different they don't have anything in common they couldn't possibly come together but we do under the name and, and under the blood of jesus and that's incredible and that will change the world so we want to challenge you guys this week um, as you go out amidst the the division that is present in our country, in relationships, and families, and all these things, to look for ways to build unity. For you to do your part um, to, to pick people up, uh, to show people uh, what it looks like uh, to uh, pick up your cross daily. So with that, we'll uh, close down uh, this week of Relentless Podcast and... Have a good week. Yep, we love you. God bless. Share this with uh, all the people that you know so that Jesus can uh, be known around the world.